Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. Welcome back to the Bosco's Boys podcast. It's a Grant KSU solo show today. Uh, Scott is off somewhere being sworn in as a godfather or something crazy. Um, it's a good show today. We've got two familiar guests in John Kurtz and Jimmy Goheen, a.k.a. KSU underscore fan. Um, I talked to John a little bit about spring football, and we laugh at our neighbors to the east. And, of course, Jimmy and I break down the Iowa State game. But before we get into that... I'm going to have to talk to you about our sponsors, starting with eBay. You guys know eBay. Um, eBay, from rare, dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authentic- authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchased before they're sent to you, so you can shop confidently knowing that your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 and more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So if you got a, um, some sneakers that are 100 bucks or more, you can sell them and you don't have to pay a fee. So that's great. With other sites, uh, they take as much as 25%, and you're going to have a lot of extra money left uh, leaving eBay to buy more sneakers. Um, so check out ebay.com sneakers today. Um, and in partnership with eBay, Armchair Media will be raffling off four custom-made sneakers. Each pur- purchase you make before March 31st through ebay.com sneakers will enter you into a drawing um, for one pair of Air Force One low tops. Just send a screenshot of your purchase to at Armchair Media on Twitter or on Instagram. And, of course, now we must talk to you about our favorite sponsor. That's not true. We love all of our sponsors equally, like our children. Um, but, of course, Bet Online. They've been ro- rolling with us for a while. Bet Online, they're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all, of, all sports action. Um, football is obviously over, but uh, the NBA and, of course, college basketball, March time, it's March Madness, and the NHL, they're in full swing. Um, bet Online even covers, you know, awards, TV shows, reality TV, and we've got golf. Recently been watching Temptation Island, very small clips as my wife watches it, and I get uh, viscerally angry at the television. Maybe I should start betting on that. Um, Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's take it to our good friend and first guest, John Kurtz. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Um, I kind of feel like we're on an actual radio show today because you are, it feels like you're calling in. You're driving right now. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, you know, we can reverse the roles here. I think uh, it's about time somebody gave you a, a radio show, you know? I've been saying it for years. I don't know about that. I think I'd get kicked off the radio within a week. But um, thanks for coming well, it on. Couldn't be, it couldn't be any worse than your Twitter history. It would probably mirror my Twitter history, and it would probably be worse. Um, I, <laughs> At least with Twitter, I get the chance to think about what I'm going to post instead of just, you know, talking on the spot. So it could get okay, a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, well, I apologize if the quality of the audio for this isn't any good, but, um, we, you know, I've got a busy weekend, Scott's out of town. So we found a way to get John Kurtz on the show any way that we could. And we're just going to jump right into it with some spring football. John spring football started this week, something that we did not get last season, which, um, 
I think really hurt our developmental players. It hurt our depth and overall the sharpness of our team suffered. How important is it from your perspective that we actually will get a nice spring football period? And I think it's really important. I mean, you know, it's always the type of thing that coaches really like, but I think this year for, for everybody, it's going to be extra important, but in particular at K-State where you went through uh, some issues towards the end of the season that I think Chris Kleiman and company were pretty frank about were, uh, you know, they would call it like, I, I guess, culture related. I think they were using the, the words like accountability on and off the field, but, you know, with the 11 players that left, most of that happening during the season, um, and the way things sort of spiraled out of control at the end of the year, just in terms of how the results were going on the field. Um, there's clearly been an effort to bring in some transfers that fit what they want from a culture standpoint, um, to try and do some addition by subtraction, some of those cliches that you hear, but I think that stuff is legit. And I think it matters. And I think spring football helps bring those guys together. Um, you can throw on top of that too, adding a new strength and conditioning coach. I know that um, really it's the off season where he shines and not necessarily spring football, but getting some time to be around him and someone that's going to be a pretty critical voice, you know, the rest of the off season heading into the fall, I think is also very important. So just for a team that was in a lot of flux by the end of last year, um, also losing your starting quarterback in Skylar Thompson. Um, and now you get a chance in Will Howard to have his first spring ball, same with Jake Rubley. I, I think there's a number of reasons why you could point out and say, this is more important than a typical spring is for, for K-State. Hey, but have you heard any buzz this week surrounding any specific players? I don't know that I would say, like, not, not based on this week. I know they've only had uh, one practice, and then uh, today was an off, off day, and then they'll have practice again tomorrow. But I, I just know from the, the word on, like, how things were going and conditioning and guys that had come in um, through the, the transfer uh, portal, like I think Eric Munoz they're really pleased with, the linebacker from Utah State just in terms of how he fits the culture, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, that was the first thing I thought of right away when they brought him in. Like, this is a dude that started playing football at the D2 level um, and, like, walked on multiple places, including a junior college, and then Utah State worked his way up to being a spot starter. Like, he's had to grind and earned every bit of, of what he has gotten to this point in his career. So that's the kind of guy that you're going to want in the locker room. Now, whether or not he can actually play, I suppose, is, is another thing, but – you know, I've also heard really good things about uh, Russ East and Julius Brent, the two um, two defensive backs that have transferred in, and then actually Timothy Horn, too, who's the defensive tackle that transferred. So I think they're very high on those guys, and they really like um, what they're hearing and, and seeing from them so far. Uh, I think we'll probably have to wait a little bit deeper into spring practice to get a better feel for what they're actually doing on the field, but we should get plenty of opportunities. Chris Lyman has a press conference um, coming up, and then there will be press conferences every week basically from now until – uh, the first week of April with different assistants and players. So hopefully we'll start to get a better feel as that rolls on. Yeah, experience transferring into the linebacker room is something that will be greatly welcomed. Um, who this spring are you hoping, you know, kind of breaks out of their shell? Is there anyone specific that you um, hope makes an early impact? I would just like to see or hear some good buzz about, like, skill position players on offense. I mean, I think linebacker is another easy place to point to, but I just don't know. I, mean, I just feel like a linebacker, they kind of have what they have. And it's, it's a lot of guys that I think are good rotational players. I'm not sure that there's a stud there. So I suppose if somebody were to break out there, that would be great. But I, I think, you know, receivers, like if we start hearing rave reviews about what Malik Knowles is doing and um, he stays healthy throughout the entire spring practice, that would be a nice start. Um, that's something that I would definitely welcome. But, you know, I was just looking through the skill position players the other day, and it's like outside of Deuce Vaughn, I mean, man, it's, there's a lot of question marks, a lot of unknowns, and a lot of like, oh, boy. So I think Skyler being back will help the play of all those guys. But, like, if Jalen Travis can pop, which I did hear some good things about last year, even though he fought a lot of COVID issues, I think worse than about anybody on the team. Um, he's a young receiver. You know, if we heard him or, I don't know, Keenan Garber all of a sudden starts to break out of a shell, tight ends like Daniel Amaterbebe, who's uh, another transfer, like if he actually stays healthy and can showcase his athleticism, that's the kind of things I would be looking for. And maybe I'm a little too seduced by shiny objects on offense there, but I, I think they need more shiny objects on offense uh, to help complement Deuce. So that, that's what I'd really be hoping that we start to hear about this spring. John, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, and you got you to gotta call out a name of who's going to be the next uh, running back behind Deuce Vaughn. Who's going to be the second most carries? I, I'm, still, I'm still going Joe Irvin. 
Um, I think Joe Irvin was on track to be that last year had he not opted out. Um, I think they obviously really liked what he did. And, um, you know, Jacardier Wright got some carries as well in 2019 at the end of the year. But um, I think his trajectory has gone backwards, unfortunately. And so I hear differently on that front. I'm, I'm not going to buy in too much to that. They've lost the reliable but low ceiling uh, Harry Trotter. So I'm, I'm really looking at, at Joe Urban. I mean, maybe you know, Keon Mosey feels to me more like a, kind of an all-purpose toy that they may use out of receiver some and play around with a little bit. So if you're talking about like straight carries and just taking the ball um, in more of a conventional sense, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Joe Urban right now. I think that's fair. Um, John, I don't know if it's the nice sunny weather, but I'm feeling pretty excited about next season football-wise, and I feel like last year was super frustrating, of course, but it was so unique, and I feel like no one really watched it, um, at least broadly talking about this, uh, the fan base with any sense of nuance. So I want you to know today in this beautiful, this beautiful 70-degree day, what's your mojo telling you about next season? What's your gut feeling? Because I feel pretty good about going into next year. I think we're going to come back with a vengeance. It, it is a beautiful day. And if I, if I told you that the thermometer in my car was reading 69 degrees, would that affect uh, how it is that you feel about this football season? I think it would make me feel better. Hey, that's, that's what I figured. So I thought I would just float that out there. Um, I think that, well, how about this? Like, I think they will win somewhere between six and nine games, uh, but probably closer to the six or seven win end of that. Um, I think Skyler being back will make a massive difference. I mean, I think really as frustrating as last year was and as much um, consternation there was by the end of the year, I, I think like Skyler makes the difference between everybody feeling like the program was completely on track and then like, Hey, what the hell is going on? Um, so I think him being back and being a steadying force, assuming that he does heal up and everything is good to go by the time the season starts, I think that'll make a massive difference. And I, I think, you know, there are plenty of holes, but I think there's enough there also at the same time um, with some of the transfers. I think the defensive backs will wind up being pretty good. I think they still have depth along the defensive line. And um, I, I expect the offense to be better just because the quarterback play simply has to be for most of the year. So I'll take them to be what they were probably trending to be last year before everything um, kind of went to hell in a handbasket. Somewhere between six and eight wins is really what I'm feeling. So I know that's, that's not really like totally off the wall, but I think that should at least help restore hope. I think you should just have some hope restored this year that the program is on solid ground, good footing, and, um, you know, hopefully there's some buzz about the young quarterbacks too, and you feel better about that after Skyler leaves. I agree. I mean, I certainly feel, and this is an extremely early prediction, but I'm more bullish on the program than I think the broad spectrum of the fan base is. Um, I predict next year is going to kind of mirror year one of Chris Kleiman, maybe around an eight-win season with uh, the opportunity to, you know, steal. I mean, of course, you can look at it both ways. Two of those games that year, we probably could have lost. And then two of those games, we definitely could have won. So I think eight wins was probably fair. But I just, I don't know. I think last year was such an anomaly that I feel pretty good about next year. And I think the fans hopefully will be back. And I'm just buzzing thinking about, you know, what it might be like going back to a football game and uh, being able to enjoy live sports. But uh, let's take it into the next um, – Next subject, and, uh, you know, John, this is not a KU podcast. It's not a KU show, but when we get the opportunity to laugh at the enemy, we would be remiss not to squeeze every last drop out of the situation. I'm sure you've mentioned this on your show already, but somehow we have failed to. Um, so, John, last seven to ten days, a lot has resurfaced or surfaced regarding Les Miles' time at LSU um, regarding sexual assault misconduct. And, uh, you know, Jeff Long, he's back in the spotlight under scrutiny for his negligence. There's been a lot of staff turnover in the KU football program. So, John, please give me one of your famous soapbox performances and wax poetic about the laughing stock, the circus, the embarrassment, the black eye and the blemish on the Big 12. And honestly, the gift that keeps on giving to us, the new futility you that is Kansas football. But it is a total gift if you're talking about it from a K-State fan's perspective. There's no doubt about that because, man, that, I mean, that is a total mess. And I, you know, I'll preface this by saying, like, I don't, I don't want to at all make light of, like, the allegations that, that are levied against Les Miles from his time at LSU. And we may, you know, I mean, I think the date to watch out for, I want to say, was, like, March 30th. It was the end of the month. Um, there's going to be a court hearing in Louisiana as to whether or not 
all that stuff can be made public because right now like USA Today and I think it's the uh, New Orleans Times Picayune and whatever the Baton Rouge paper is, um, the register maybe, um, they're all trying to sue to get that information to come public and a judge is trying to decide whether or not to um, actually allow that to happen because Les Miles lawyers are basically arguing that hey, there were no charges, like nothing ever came of the investigation, but we can't have this released because it would do irreparable damage to his reputation. Which I think tells you something about what is actually in all of those allegations. So, I mean, that's a very serious matter. I don't ever want to make light of any of that. And it sounds like LSU has some major, major problems in terms of how they were actually handling that information and other information in subsequent years that, that followed up. But like, I mean, man, Kansas has claimed ignorance on this, that they didn't know anything about this, that they didn't properly vet the situation is basically what they've already admitted with how that worked out with Les. And, you know, I mean, you can't argue with the results on field being pretty disastrous so far. And now you've got this thrown on top of it. And that comes on the heels of, like, the stuff that came out against Jeff Long and the affidavit process with David Beatty when they were trying to get rid of him, where they're accusing Jeff Long of making lewd sexual remarks about um, like a potential donor, an older woman that was a potential donor, and then talking about wanting a hotel room adjacent to a fellow staffer that um, it was being claimed was in a sexual manner. Like, there's just a long list of that stuff. I mean, they had the the Puka Williams stuff um, with what he was doing, and then Les Miles' reaction to it, the, the most awkward thing that you'll ever hear at Big 12 BD Days. Like, nothing has gone well. Like, off the field, it's been terrible. On the field, it's been pretty terrible. And then you throw on top of that, like this offseason, they're having guys leave. Brent Deerman leaves from Middle Tennessee. Um, they had another uh, guy on their staff take a lateral move to SMU. Um, they had another one the other day that was too, like an American, UCF. They've had, they've had people from their staff leave for UCF, Middle Tennessee, and SMU this offseason, like for lateral moves. I mean, that tells you it's kind of like rats <laughs> fleeing the ship right now. And uh, I, I think that stuff is just going to continue to get worse because I don't see the turnaround really happening like on the field. And to be honest, I don't know if that stuff comes public. I, I don't know if Les Miles winds up surviving it. I don't know if Kansas fires him with cause. And I, I don't know which one would be worse for Kansas to, to get rid of Les or not, because then you're trying to hire somebody in the midst of all this scandal and like Jeff Long making another hire. His last one was Les. So like, I, I don't know, man, if you're a Kansas fan, I don't know how you see a way out from that. And I think if you're a K-State fan, you just kick your feet up and, and watch this thing burn because right now it is, it is continuing to burn. Yeah, I don't know what you do either. I mean, surely you can't keep less, but keep but getting rid of him also is a massive decision and a massive problem. That nobody has any money to get rid of coaches right now or hire coaches right now. It's it's a mess. It makes you appreciate um, our guys in purple for all their faults. You know, Bruce is obviously an amazing guy. Guys like Gene, I think who you know, I think Gene's done a pretty damn good job. You know, actually as an athletic director, if you go to certain places on the internet, they will tell you differently, but at least they're not negligent as hell and uh, being accused of sexual misconduct. But uh, John, that's all I've got for you. Thanks again for coming on. You're always a welcome guest. Uh, enjoy the rest of your sunny day and drive safely. Uh, thank you. And I appreciate that. I got to look at your headset this whole time. Do you got anything you want to plug? You know, follow me on Twitter at JL Kurtz, subscribe to the YouTube channel, John Kurtz on YouTube, listen to Fable to our colors and the game KMAN, wherever uh, fine podcasts are sold, all that noise. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, go Arsenal since I see your Arsenal uh, yes. jersey to step on there. Absolutely. Come on, you Gunners. Uh, thank you, John. John Kurtz, everybody. Make sure you guys check out John, subscribe to his YouTube, follow him on Twitter, listen to his podcasts anywhere that you can listen to podcasts, and of course listen to his daily radio show, The Game, on KMAN. But before you do all that, make sure you go to eBay to check out the rare dead stock to the latest release. You can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop a pair you've been eyeing. With the eBay Authenticity Guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you, and you can shop confidently knowing that the pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers that are $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking up as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for more sneakers. Check out ebay.com sneakers today, and after you do that, Make sure you go to bed online because the probably best time 
all year to bet on sports is coming up with March Madness. We know the football's over, but we got college basketball, NBA, NHL. They're in full swing. If you want to bet on award shows, TV shows, reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, Bet Online has you covered for all news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports experts. Now, of course, let's head to part two with the man that doesn't need really any introduction. He's been on our show a million times, and he's great. He's very well known in the K-State community. It is Mr. Jimmy Goheen, a.k.a. our basketball expert, a.k.a. KSU underscore fan Jimmy, on this beautiful Sunday afternoon, how are you, my friend? Pretty good. It's uh, it's been it's been much more enjoyable to watch K State basketball when they win a few games instead yeah. of losing thirteen in a row. So um, yeah. that part, you know, I, I mean, there's it's still not a very good season, and I won't deny that. But um, it's it's funner to win, especially give some hope because I you know I think Bruce is going to be back. Whether I want him to be or not, so right, we might as well win some games if that's going to happen. And when we did, uh, K State sixty one, Iowa State fifty six, Cats take their conference total win to four, which is an improvement if you want to look at it that way of one win over last season. And we do the double over the Cyclones. That's always a positive. So, Jimmy, what made the Cats tick yesterday or Saturday uh, to get us that win, or is, is Iowa State just that bad? Well, it, it, I mean, Iowa State's bad. I mean, obviously, if a team goes 0-18 in the league, um, they're not very good. They have two wins. You know, it was a shortened preseason for them because they missed some games, more, a few more games because of COVID stuff. Um, but, you know, they had certainly had better pieces returning than K-State did. And then they added, you know, Jalen Coleman-Lands, who was probably one of the better – grad transfers on the market last year and you know I, I mean I think it really speaks to uh, the t- the difficult time Steve Prohm has had especially the last couple of years where Iowa State has not been very good um, but but then again K-State played really good defense um, I would not say based on watching the game that Iowa State had packed it in I mean they were still playing pretty hard and they came out and actually played defense in the second half. Their defense has been pretty awful throughout big 12 play, but I really thought they played uh, hard and played sound on defense for a pretty good stretch of the second half. K-State struggled um, to shoot it after shooting it pretty well in the first half, but at the end of the day, K-State's defense held on. It was another really good defensive game um, for this team, especially compared to where this team has been this season. Um, it's still going to end up one of the worst efficiency defenses ever at K-State and, and for sure in the three-point era. So I, I can't gloss that over, but at the same time, the last six games, it's been more of the type of defense you expect from a Bruce Weber team. So, you know, uh, you look at that, there's some some encouragement there. And, you know, beating an Iowa State team that this was – I think every game down the stretch for them kind of became their Super Bowl no team wants to go defeated in, in league play. So I think they really were playing hard to not, to not be that team that went 0 and 18, but K-State found a way to hold them off. And Iowa State cut it to three, I think a couple times in the second half, but K-State ended up winning and they really won. The margin was more like a three possession, eight to 10 point game than the final score. Cause they hit a late three that was meaningless. So you know, it was it was a good win for K State just because winning's better than losing when you've been as bad as we have this year. Absolutely, and I'm happy that we could be the ones to keep Iowa State at the goose egg. So that's nice. Um, yes, the lone senior Mike McGurl um, shined again as the leading scorer, possibly you know ending his K State regular season career on a high. Although there are whispers that he could come back, or at least that a door would be open for him. I'd be interested to hear your opinion on that. You know, what are the pros and cons of Mike returning from your perspective? I, I think the biggest pro is he's a really experienced guy in the program. Um, obviously, he knows what Bruce expects. Um, 
and combined with the core of guys, hopefully they're bringing back um, of younger guys, Nigel Pack, Bradford, Sub Miguel, Dejuan Gordon, um, you know, and Luke Kasupke, you, you know, you can, easy Agu, you can debate the value of all those, but I, th I think that group that I just mentioned is a pretty key core. Um, I'd, I'd throw Antonio Gordon and we'll probably talk about his issue. You mentioned him at the top in there as a, a pretty decent guy to return, although he'd be the bottom of that list I just named. Um, but Mike can, can shoot it. You know, I think this year he showed that if he's asked to be a guy that has to be heavily on the ball, has to be the guy that shoots late in the shot clock, has to be the guy that goes and makes a play on his own. He's not going to be as good at that. And I think he took on that role. And I really think um, in some ways his stats were really hurt when Nigel Pack went out because he even took that role on even more. Because without Nigel Pack, obviously the scoring options for K-State, um, Nigel Pack's going to end up being the leading scorer for this team. Mike's going to be second. So he took on even more of that role, and I think he pressed even more, and I think he really struggled. It's only really the last, you know, six, seven games that he's kind of relaxed a little bit, played off the ball more. Sub Miguel and Nigel Pack have really been the on-ball guys since Pack has come back. And if you can make and put Mike McGill in that role where he's not asked to be so ball dominant and being used on 25% of the possessions or more, he can be a pretty darn good player in this league. He's not going to be all league probably, but I would take him back. Um, but I do think they probably need another guard if, if uh, Mike's going to be back. And that's another good discussion. Nigel Pack, who was back in action um, from his, you know, in his first game back, returning from his eye injury, eye infection, whatever was going on there. How did he look on Saturday? And um, how important is Nigel Pack for this team to be successful going forward? Oh, he's a huge key. He's got potential to be um, a really good player. I think it was probably, you know, in some ways it might have been good for him to miss a game because even though he missed those four games with, with COVID in the middle of the season, he has kind of reached what, what people call the freshman wall these last, um, especially the last four or five games. You know, if you, if you go back to the last four games, he was two for seven for three yesterday. He was one for seven against Oklahoma. He was two for six against TCU and he was 0 for seven against KU. And he's, he's now dropped below 30% from three in big 12 play. And then, you know, before, even after he got hurt the first few games, he was up near 35, 36%. And he's still going to end up be 35% for the season because he shot well uh, in the non-conference. But he's, you know, a key piece. He can be, I think, an all-Big 12-level player eventually at K-State. Um, I don't know about next year, but maybe by a junior year for sure. And he's, you know, he's – of all the guys you want to have back – he is the key guy to get back. And, uh, and I think just another year of conditioning, another year of uh, a better offseason for all these guys is going to make him a more consistent offensive player next year. But he's uh, one of the encouraging things I think about Nigel Pack is because he's a smaller guy, he's kind of figured out, along with the rest of his team, how to defend at this level, which has been, you know, like I said earlier, the biggest struggle for this team. Um, even though their offense is going to be worse than the defense. Figuring out how to play defense, I think, is the key. If if there's any hope of a Bruce Weber team winning um, and becoming a tournament team again while he's still here, uh, it's going to start on the defensive end, not the offensive end. So that's encouraging to see Pack figure out how to play defense, even though his offense has struggled lately. Fellow freshman. <laughs> Selt Miguel, he had a team high uh, seven assists, and he's had a few nights of, you know, five or more assists this year. Do you think he can tick more consistently as a facilitator in future seasons to kind of take some of that pressure off of Pack? Yeah, I, I honestly think Selton being on the ball more has helped Mike McGurl too, going back to that discussion. But definitely I think he can be kind of a almost like a – a point 
not quite a point forward, but a point swing man um, for K-State and be a ball dominant guy. He's, I mean, he's second or third on the team possession rate this year. So he's he's been pretty high um, as far as how many possessions he's involved in. But seeing him get uh, better at distributing and having a higher assist rate has been good. Um, I'm also encouraged that he's he's become a much better rebounder in Big 12 play than he was in the non-conference. Because I've you know I you know you look at Dejuan Gordon who's a smaller guy than Miguel and Gordon just rebounds inherently. He's you know second best rebounder on the team behind Antonio Gordon when you look at rebound rates. And Selton was bottom on the team going into Big 12 play and even early in Big 12 play he wasn't very good but he's become a better rebounder um, he's got to become a much better shooter and he's he's in the 20s and three point percentage and he's got to get much better at taking care of the ball he you know averages over five turnovers per 100 possessions which is really high um, your, your your ball dominant guys are going to have a higher turnover rate but that needs to come down between three and four, probably under four. Um, and there's several other guys in that same boat, but Selden Miguel is a key piece. And again, another guy I think that could <clears throat> contend to be all league. You know, he's an older guy because, you know, he came from Angola. He's already in his 20, lower 20s age wise. He's older than most of his peers, which physically I think helps him out. And <clears throat> I think it helped him out in high school too. But uh, as he figures it out, he can become a pretty darn good player um, for the Cats and is a key piece along with Pac. Okay, I've got a question for you. Yep. Why, or I'm sorry, who do you think will be more important to this team in the next three years, provided that they stay? Nigel Pack on the offensive side of the ball or Selton Miguel on the defensive side of the ball? Whew. You know, part, I mean, because of the point I was making before about defense being the key to a Bruce team, part of, I mean, I can make the argument that it should be Selton Miguel because, you know, there's always that mantra, um, I think, that comes from Chris Lowry that, you know, K-State needs a guy on the team that can cut the head off the snake is, yeah. is kind of what they've said on defense. And Barry Brown was that guy um, for years, <clears throat> two or three years. Last year, we really didn't have that guy. And this year, until Selton Miguel figured that out, we didn't have that guy. And that's why our defense wasn't very good for for a long stretch of time. But him figuring that, that out is huge. But at the same time, <laughs> Nigel Pack can be a volume scorer. You still got to score points. You know, you know, even if you're only going to score 60, you still got to score 60. And you got to have a guy probably scoring 15 to 18 points a game to make that happen for a Bruce team. <clears throat> we had that with Barry Brown and Dean Wade during um, his two or three really good years with his own players. And now, I think Nigel Pack is probably the key offensive player for that to happen. I think Miguel can still be a decent scorer, but his value is on defense. And like you said, I think Nigel Pack is on offense. So it's it's a it, I mean I'd call it a toss up, but you know right now I'm leaning toward Sub Miguel because defense is why this team has won games down the stretch. It's not offense because the offense hasn't been very good. Yeah, that's a tough question. <laughs> Um, I've been kind of wrestling them with that one for a while, but uh, I feel like, yeah, I, I would I would say a toss-up is pretty fair. So, <clears throat> Cats in the uh, season with three out of four Big 12 wins. I know Iowa State's terrible. TCU is obviously weaker as well, but you've mentioned that um, this kind of somewhat of a mini renaissance for the Cats is that they've been able to figure out the defense. So, what specifically have they figured out on defense that's made this team function better? Or is it just the fact that we're slapping the floor now? <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I, I like I, even when it started, I was I was making fun of slapping the floor as much as anybody. But for whatever reason, it's one of those goofy Bruce things that worked. Like it's it was definitely a goofy Bruce thing, um, but the guys rallied around it, you know, and they they bought into it. And you know, I'm also I'm. I want, I want to go back and say, Bruce, do the slap the floor in December. Don't wait till right. February when we're terrible. Um, but the guys bought in, and uh, but but key your key thing specifically when you look at um, what improved 
Um, the biggest thing is K-State started turning people over. Um, forcing turnovers has always been uh, one of the key attributes of, of a Bruce team. Um, and I go by turnover rate. You want to be, for a Bruce team, you want to be 20%. And in the first two-thirds of Big 12 play, K-State was 16 to 17% turnover rate is what they were forcing. And K-State's not going to win like that. You know, you got to be much better forcing turnovers. The last six games, K-State's been 22.6% turnover rate. So that is what you expect from a Bruce Weber team. Um, his best teams with, with Barry Brown, Dean Wade, and Cam Stokes, Xavier Sneed, Mac Moline, those teams were 21 to 22% turnover rate teams. So turning that one around is big. Second one I would say is, is two-point percentage allowed. Um, first two-thirds of Big 12 play, K-State was allowing uh, 56 57% on twos. And uh, that's dropped to 47%. Uh, these last six games. So that's a 10% drop in two-point percentage rate, uh, which drops the, the effective field goal percentage from 57% for, for in the first two-thirds of Big 12 play to 44.3% the last six games. So those come together, and, and uh, the efficiency they were uh, allowing is points per possession. You want to keep it under one. It was at 1.16, 1.17, which is just terrible. That's just awful defense. That would have been one of the historical worst Big 12 defenses going back to those awful TCU teams and Texas Tech teams when Billy Gillespie was a mess. And even the, the Baylor teams when, when Drew first started and um, still was dealing with murder in their program. So right, you've got those kinds of – we were that bad on defense. Um, but it's dropped a point uh, – 0.90 the last – uh, six games, which is a, a gigantic improvement again. So, you know, if you, if you force turnovers for K-State, you force tough shots on twos, uh, you're going to have a pretty good efficiency, and that's really uh, where they've turned it around these last six games or so in Big play. Well, let's hope that it can continue into the tournament and that momentum can continue into next season. But – in other news, it's been announced that uh, Antonio Gordon will end his season officially, citing medical reasons. I personally tend I tend to believe that. I don't think that there's any reason to believe, at least right now, that there's any like you know misdirection or diversion going on behind the scenes. Um, but it does give me some pause a little bit about his future um, and the odds of him continuing his career here. Do you have any new insight on the situation? Do you share my concern? And what does Antonio Gordon departing look like for this roster? I, I don't have any more insight, and I do share your concern. Um, and it's really a concern with the, the, the power forward or four spot on this program right now because uh, Montavious Murphy has, have of course, been hurt most of the year as well. Um, there's been, you know, there's always one guy for K-State that is the kind of message board scapegoat. And Antonio Gordon kind of became that guy this year, at least on KSO and even on Twitter a little bit, of the guy that was holding – I mean, I made the point, I think it was to Scott on one time a couple weeks ago, when your defense is this bad, and especially when you don't force turnovers, that's not – the four spot on defense, it's your biggest problem. And so that was one of my points about Antonio Gordon. The other point was that he's the best. When you go by how many rebounds he grabs while he's on the court, he grabs more rebounds than anybody on the team uh, per 100 possessions. So there's some, some good things about that. He kind of learned how to play offense a little bit better. You know, he, he jacked threes early in the year, like a lot of our guys did. And, uh, wasn't a very efficient player, but he did kind of figure out um, a little bit his role as far as the shots he should take and being more of a guy that rebounds and gets putbacks and, you know, occasionally takes a, a, a jumper when he needs to. And uh, 
So there are ways I think he does it would does hurt us losing him because I'm also not sure about the the future of Montavious Murphy. Um, again, not anything negative about either two, but the injury situation with both medical situation, um, Antonio Gordon missed time <clears throat> going into the season and last summer with with medical issues as well. Um, it's never been specified, and so I'm not going to kind of figure out why, but. Either case, you've got two guys that have obviously missed a lot of time because of um, issues with health. So that's always a concern because we've lived through guys like James Love and Levi Stockard and Nigel Shad that seem to be injured all the time too in the past. So you don't want to repeat that cycle where you have guys on your roster that never play because they can't. And again, it's nothing against those two guys, but Definitely concerned. Like I said earlier, though, as far as um, impact on the program and the roster, losing of, of losing guys, I'd put Antonio Gordon sixth or seventh on my list of guys I wouldn't want to lose. Doesn't mean it's not an impactful loss if, if he's not able to, to return. But it's not like losing Sub Miguel or Nigel Pack or Davian Bradford. Right. right. Yeah, I tend to think, I mean, at this point in time, I tend to think that if we, unless we nail a transfer, I think him sticking around would be positive. Um, yeah. I don't have any real faith in, I mean, you like you mentioned, you can't really put your faith in Montavious Murphy right now um, with his track record injury-wise. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in Lewis and Lingard. Um, we just haven't yeah. seen enough out of them yet. And if they couldn't get on the floor yesterday um, – against an 0-18 squad. I don't know what their future looks like. Um, so right now, you know, I mean, first and foremost, I wish him the best. We wish him wellness right now. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I mean, I hope he returns. I think there's a player in there that can be unlocked. And uh, yeah. he has qualities that benefit the team that others don't. So I hope he comes back. And I, I hope it gets better, first and foremost. But um, let's peek ahead to TCU in the Big 12 tournament real quick. Just one last note to hit on. What, is, what do the cast need to do to continue this good form and um, to advance past TCU to the second round? How do we, how do we sting the, the Frogs again? Well, the last time we played them when we beat them in Manhattan, um, we did a, did a, you know, again, it was a nice defensive game. We forced um, turnovers at a high rate, 22%. They only shot 38% on twos, so, and we dominated – twos we shot 43 percent and then they didn't hit threes either they were only four of 18 from three you know they've got nice players uh rj nimpard is a junior who's been around a while who's really good mike miles is their freshman that's really good uh kevin samuel's a really good big you know but it, but in the first game i thought much of the game davian bradford outplayed kevin samuel even though kevin samuel's kind of a guy that's been hyped and you know, been mentioned as guys probably maybe second team all Big 12 level player at the five. Probably not going to be quite there because of there's other guys that are better. I think um, Culver and McCormick from KU, Culver from West Virginia, I think are better players at the five. But Kevin Samuel was at least thought of in that sphere going into the season. And Bradford really outplayed him for most of the game in that one. Um, so I'd say taking care of Nimpard and Miles on the perimeter um, and, and continuing to guard inside and take, not let Samuels have a huge game or really the biggest things I look at. Um, <clears throat> it's just, it's just bizarre that we're playing the same two games to end the season kind of this year, hopefully not end. Uh, but we played Iowa state TCU last year to end the regular season and go into big in the big 12 tournament for the whole COVID stuff hit. And we're getting to see that again. So it'd be nice to get a win. <clears throat> and I, I honestly want to see us play Baylor again just to see if we've made any improvement because they destroyed us. I mean, Baylor absolutely kicked our butts both times this year, you know, winning one of those games by 48 points. So I want to see, you know, can they, can they make that a competitive game, even if they, you know, can lose by 12 to 15? Um, you could say that they made progress. You know, I'm not going to call for an upset if they happen to play Baylor again, but I just want to see if they can at least make it look like a ball game for more than two minutes 
uh, at the beginning <laughs> of the game. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to see see them win another one. That'd be four out of five, and then see what happens against the Baylor team. That, you know, Baylor has not been quite the same Baylor since they came back from their COVID break either. So, you never know what could happen. Do you have a prediction for us for the TCU game? I think I, – I, I really do think they'll beat TCU um, as most – like most Jamie Dixon teams, um, TCU doesn't play great defense. You know, K-State's not a great offensive team. So, you know, I'm not expecting us to score 70 or 80 against them. But, you know, I think it's another one – it's going to be another one of those games where it's probably the first to 60 wins it. You know, I know a lot of our fan base doesn't like those grinders, but, you know, I didn't – I wasn't disappointed in 2019 winning the league title playing that style. So, you know, no, if, if Bruce no. can build another team that can contend for the league title, playing first to 60 games and playing defense and hopefully getting better on offense, um, that'd be good. I think I think we're going to see a better game from Nigel Pack against TCU. Um, like I said, he struggled lately from three, but I think – this might be another game where he comes out and hits four or five from three, and uh, in case they pulls away, and I'm going to predict predict us to win by seven or eight. All right. Well, you've heard it here first from Jimmy Goheen. The Cats will advance to face the daunted Baylor <laughs> Bears in the second round, where hopefully we don't lose again by fifty. Um, yeah. That's all I got for you today, Jimmy. Thanks for coming on. Um, subscribe to KSO to see the stats-driven content that Jimmy puts out. And, of course, follow him on Twitter at KSU underscore fan to get more from Jimmy. Um, you got any Sunday plans? Beautiful day. Oh, probably take the dogs for a walk. Maybe might clean my cars, clean out the vehicles. Yeah, we cleaned, we cleaned our cars last week, and uh, I'm thinking the same. I might head to Loose Park and, and walk my dog. So, yeah. Maybe plant some grass, get some grass, plant in the yard in the bare spots. Luckily, I don't have to do that yet. I'm still a, still living <laughs> the apartment life. But, uh, man, I mean, we just, we had a baby shower yesterday, and yeah, there's not an inch in our one-bedroom apartment that isn't covered with some I bet. new – And, and I've, so, since I haven't talked to you in crazy. person, congrats. Thanks, yes, appreciate it. Hopefully someday soon we can get together, share some bourbon maybe if we can find. Unfortunately, the Colonel Taylor is gone. Uh, it, <laughs> it didn't last through the pandemic. I just finished it like two weeks ago. I just said, you know, it's made it this long. I don't think I'm going to see. Or, well, I'm, I I'm just going to tell you that Colonel Taylor wouldn't last in two weeks with me, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think we're going to do the bourbon, uh, podcast anytime soon. So I figured I'd, I'd toss it down the house. Sounds good. So. Well, we appreciate it. And, um, have a good one, buddy. You too. Thanks Grant. All right, that is going to wrap up today's Bosco's Boys episode. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our special guests, John Kurtz and Jimmy Goheen. Of course, remember to head over to eBay and bet online to bet on sports and get amazing sneakers. Um, and last of, but not least, folks, please, I'm begging you, meet me at the cafe.
Sometimes I wonder if it'll ever end. You get so mad at me when I go out with my friends. Sometimes you're crazy and you wonder why. I'm such a baby, yeah, the cowboys make me cry. But there's nothing I can do. Podcast Network.